How's everyone? Good, good, good. I'm, I'm glad you're good. I want to uh, just welcome you this morning, and uh, this is our, our uh, Sunday morning service, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us today, uh, and through this Christmas season, making room is what we've been talking about. But uh, I don't. Before I get into that, I, I just want to share some of my struggles as a husband. I said struggles as a husband. I didn't right away. You assumed it had to do with you, but it's true. So I don't know how many of you, how many men in the room, if you're a gift buyer, you wrap the gift. Okay, I think you should get like give a hand if you wrap the gift. So I thought, so yeah, you could give me a hand, that'd be good. So a few days ago, first of all, I, w- I had my gifts that I had gotten my wife and I had hidden them away and she was getting anxious that they weren't wrapped in under the tree. Why have you not wrapped those gifts yet? I said, they're still there, you're going to get them, they will be wrapped. So I said, finally, I will help her anxiety level to lessen. So I locked the bedroom door and I was wrapping them. I found some wrapping paper that was there. Because it's wrapping paper. I wrapped them all up. Thought I did a fantastic job. Which I did. I bring them downstairs and place them in front of the tree. Feeling good about myself. Until. What did you do with those? I was like. I don't, you can guess who said that. My wife. What did you put that wrapping paper under? I was like. What wrapping paper? It's red and white. And has snowflakes. It's fantastic. There was plain wrapping paper there, more like like cardboard-looking paper. The the and you're supposed to, and there's no there's no like ribbon around it. I said I am not. She said I think you need to go rewrap those. I said I am not. Hey, I got the mic. You can come in January. I said, I am not going to rewrap those things. And I stuck my red and white wrapped paper, stuck it under amongst all these all coordinated things, and mine were sticking out there. Beep, 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 like that. So finally, one of my daughters said, enough of this. She went and got them and went and rewrapped them for me and said, sign them for me here, Dad. I thought I should have been getting, like, props that I even wrapped them. Or that you got them. Even that. Thank you, Daniel. Come here. Come on. But no, it was a growing moment for me. I was learning. You know, it's not just, apparently it's not just the thought that counts. It's also that you got them. It's also that you wrap them. It's also that you wrap them right. We're going to pray for me right now. Just pray that God will heal my heart. I noticed that all my presents were burned in the backyard. Just, I don't know, or will be today after this. Anyway, um, I don't know why I had to talk about that, but I did. It's, yeah, I had to get it out healing for me. When you're in, uh, how many of you do Christmas on Christmas Eve? Like you do all the unwrapping and everything like that. Usually more of an Eastern uh, European, Scandinavian thing. Uh, some Dutch people do that. Uh, a Norwegian friend of mine told me that they eat, and I don't know if there's any Norwegian people in the room, often will eat pickled pig's feet. Uh, like so, someone just said, mm, from back there. Okay, I see you back there. That's not for me. But you do that. You be you. Uh, 
Christmas Eve, and then there's other people who will do their Christmas on Christmas morning, and you have to, how many of you have to eat your breakfast before you're allowed to open your presents? What is that? Who, who decided that? Uh, we are just going to torture you a little more, little ones. <laughs> Make you eat that terrible toast or that thing you don't want to eat or whatever it might be. We eat, uh, my uh, Swedish father-in-law, who's passed away, uh, Shanda's dad, uh, he used to make every uh, Christmas morning, he's Swedish, Wexstrom. You can't get more Swedish than that. So he's like, this is his specialty, scotch eggs. Swedish guy with scotch eggs. And if you've never had them, look them up. They're fantastic. A boiled egg, you wrap them in uh, sausage, sausage meat, bread them, and then deep fry them. Look it up. Scotch eggs. You can do it right now. Some of you aren't listening anyway. <laughs> Some of you like looked at me like, how did you know? Uh, I see you. It's not like TV. I see you. It's okay. All right. I don't know where. I'm just talking. This is always dangerous. Last week uh, on the 19th, uh, Shanda and I, or at least I celebrated, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're celebrating. I can't, I can't presume to go how we know what you're feeling. After the presence, I wasn't sure. We celebrated, we, 30 years ago on the 19th, I asked Shanda out on a date. And she said yes, which was a good start to everything. It was a miracle, a Christmas miracle right there. She said yes. I gave her the invitation, and this is what she did when I asked her. She went around and asked a whole bunch of other people to come. I was like, how does this work? I ask you on a date, and is it like I am that much of a creepo? Like you're I got to ask another half a dozen people to come with me. This guy is weird. Like, so I went around behind them and said, you're not coming, you're not coming, you're not coming, you're not coming. And then when I came to pick her up, first of all, Jeff said, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm here to pick up Shanda. He's like, oh, okay. And Shanda comes out. Where's everybody else? They're not coming. And off we went. What an inauspicious beginning to what is a wonderful Marriage, married to the most wonderful of people. I married up. I put up some pictures on Facebook and someone said, love truly was blind for your wife. <laughs> Top among them is my son-in-law who regularly says, Shanda, I don't know what you saw in him. I was like, careful now. I got you a wife, young man. And a lot of people say she looks like me, so what are you saying? <laughs> Just wondering. An invitation. <laughs> okay, I should get doing something here. An invitation. You want to come help me get the table ready? Yes. <laughs> She's not. You want to make sure you do it right. <laughs> you can preach in January all month. This is like uh, the tickle trunk on Mr. Dressup. I don't know what's in here. Does anybody remember Mr. Dressup? If you don't, if you're from England and your name is Arkley, you should look up. <laughs> Mr. Dressup. He's better than that other guy that's they're doing a movie about. Um, 
Mr. Rogers, there's Mr. Dressup. Doesn't that sound like a Canadian knockoff? Somebody has a really good show called Mr. Rogers and Canadian. Somebody at CBC said, we got to come up with a show uh, that's uh, kind of like that, but worse. That's, uh, CBC, come on, I'm not a CBC fan. Mr. Dressup, what fell? Okay, the count. Okay, now we'll get this sorted out now. Is this right? Is, no. How's that? No, no, that's way too far. How's it looking over there? My, my brother, who's a carpenter, can see a quarter of an inch at 28 feet. Like, is it too low over here? This is literally how we do the table at Christmas. Okay, it has to go that way a lot. Like, look at how much room. Like, okay, so there's more stuff here. Okay, part of uh, what we've been talking about is at Christmas, and when you have the Christmas table, you have to prepare the table. Well, there's lots of candles this time. Prepare the table, get ready. There's five. I think the big one goes in the middle. <laughs> that one goes between my eyes. <laughs> we can put a couple out, get ready. We don't need more candles? Okay. We don't need more candles, everybody. <laughs> I am so dead, but the Lord. So if I don't see you in 2020. <laughs> I know when my wife, when I've crossed the line. I've crossed the line, so. Hey, preparing the table. It's wonderful to have a table. It's even better if there's people that come. And part of having people at the table is you have to give an invitation. And as my wife, who was not my wife at the time, but was a 17-year-old, beautiful high school student, I put an invitation out to her. And she said yes, but it had to start with an invitation to the... And much like that, Christmas is about an invitation. And I recognize as well that, that Christmas is not always the easiest of times. I read this yesterday on Twitter. It told the story of a Craigslist ad that is actually out right now by a, an elderly lady. She put out an ad, Do you want a grandma for Christmas? She was alone. And she said, I'm willing, I can help cook, I'll bring presents for the kids, I just don't want to be alone at Christmas. It's a real thing. Can you imagine that? And all she wanted was an invitation to the Christmas table, essentially. And we've been talking about how the table represents the heart of the home, 
the table represents the heart of the home. It, re it represents the place where we connect, where we find uh, connection, where we find community, where we find friendship, where we find uh, the family gathering. It's really the heart of the home, or the, the, whether it's the dinner table or the breakfast table. And as we've said, many times it has been replaced by the television. But nonetheless, when we gather at the table, it's, they, the statistics and st uh, studies show that when, when you have regular time around the table, you're happier, uh, there's less disease, there's all kinds of positive effects around the table. Because the table really represents in our, uh, what we're talking about today, the place of connection, the place of belonging. And we're using t the table as an analogy for what Christmas is all about. It's a place where God did everything possible to bring us to the table. Christmas was a time where God sent Jesus to come into flesh. And as the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and that he went on to... Uh, not only be born, but to live a sinless life and to be, and then he was crucified and rose again. And how God, way back in the beginning, told Adam and Eve when they had those who had once walked with God, those who had once talked with God, sinned and separated them, and they were, as it were, put away from the table. And God, thousands of years before, prophesied that there would come a day when he would send a deliverer who would crush the head of the serpent in the, in the story and reconcile and restore that which was lost. Restore us to hope. Restore us to relationship. Restore us to uh, a relationship and connection with him. And so that once more we could all fit around, as it were, the Christmas table. That's really what Christmas is all about, is being restored to the Father. There's a place for you. Someone say, there's a place for me. You got to say it like you mean it. There's a place for me at the table. And as we look at the Christmas story, we're using this imagery of the table to, to, to remind us again and again and again. And I hope that even as you sit at your Christmas table, whether it's small, whether there's many, whether you're by yourself or there's lots of people, that you will be reminded as you, as you sit at it that God did whatever was possible to make a space for you at the table. And so we're going to continue on in a Christmas story in, uh, with that context in Luke chapter 2, uh, where Mary and Joseph had traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and they came to the, uh, the inn, and there was no room in the inn. Everybody said, we're making room in the inn. They were given a place for them to sleep, which was a stable of some kind. Um, some people feel it was like literally a stable or it was like a, just a shelter in a rocky place, whatever. And Jesus was born in a manger. And the promised one had, that had, uh, by, by God, had, the one that had been promised to reconcile us and give us a place at the table had come. And the first ones who heard about it, besides Mary and Joseph and the cows, the first announcement of the Messiah was given to some guys who were outside of town, the shepherds on the outside, the ones who were out there, anonymous shepherds. And sometimes when we read this, we might just glance through it and, and get to the place where the angels say, glory to God on the highest, and, and it's good. But we should ask ourselves again, why shepherds? Why not to priests? Why not to a religious gathering of some kind? Why not in the capital city where everybody would hear about it? 
But why shepherds? And it's like God, in the very beginning of it all, the angels reveal of God's grace towards mankind. Not just to the rich, not just to the powerful, not just to the connected, but to the ones who were literally outside of everything. They were ones who were living on the outside of the city, and they were also viewed very often as outcasts, because they, they, their job was unclean, dealing with animals, and it kept them away from the temple for weeks at a time so they couldn't get ritually clean, ritually clean to be able to come into the temple. And the shepherds were usually the last to hear anything because they were out of town. Nobody sent them an Insta story from Jesus being born, tagging shepherds, at, uh, shepherds in, the, in the field. Nobody did that. There was nothing. There was no Facebook announcement. Oh, it's a boy with Joseph sitting there, nice selfie. There's none of that. It was just all, here they were on the outside. And it was such a reminder again that the good news of great joy is to all people, to people who are on the outside, to people that are overlooked, to people that are ignored, that nobody knows about, heaven knows about, and in fact, heaven often comes first to the people that are feeling like they're at the low, the people that feel like they're marginalized. Those are the ones that heaven has eyes for that nobody else does. It's the beauty of the story. The poor, the outcasts, the overlooked, the ones that everybody else might say are unclean. Heaven says, I'm coming for you. I think sometimes we think that's somebody else. But that somebody is you. That somebody is me that heaven is coming for. Even if we've got it all together on the outside, we still desperately need Jesus on the inside. And since this Christmas story throws open the gates of redemption to everyone especially and including the outsiders, it's, is it not appropriate that the story began with people who were viewed as outsiders? And we're going to look how that message that night in the, in the hills around Bethlehem, how that message that came through heavenly choirs that resounded in the ears of shepherds became not just a message for that night, but became the message of Jesus that he lived out, that became a movement that literally changed the world. We're talking about it today because the message didn't stay with some shepherds. It went into Jesus. It went into people that became a movement of people that, that never stops moving. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing in the world. And we're going to look at that this morning in the, in the gospel of Mark and many scholars felt that it was, this was written by a young man uh, writing down the, uh, the eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter. And we're going to pick up where the clash of the gospel with culture. The clash of the gospel with culture. If Jesus doesn't mess up with your family culture, I would question whether you're following Jesus. If Jesus doesn't offend our culture at times... As a church, as individuals, as family, I would question whether we're following Jesus or some other creation made in our own hands. That's all for free. And in Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at, beginning at verse 13 or 14, and it's Jesus is going along the lake shore, and, and as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his 
tax collector's booth. Now, his name, we're going to refer to him not as Levi moving on, but as Matthew, as he's also called in the same story in the Gospel of Matthew. He had a name, a second name, Levi, son of Alphaeus. He was also called Matthew. Much like if you read the Gospels, there's a man called Peter, who was also called Simon, who was also called the son of John, who was also called The Rock. He was The Rock before Dwayne Johnson ever knew about The Rock. Peter, The Rock. I was just picturing that, like, no. Anyway, here he was. So Jesus comes to Matthew, or we're calling him Levi in this story, uh, and he's sitting at his tax, collector, tax collector's booth, and Jesus says, follow me. Someone say, follow me. And be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, coming to the table, invitation, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable, disreputable sorry, sinners. There were many people of this kind. Many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the re- teachers of a religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? The New Living Translation brings it into the vernacular of our day. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call, there's the invitation, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. There's a few characters in here. We have Jesus and we have Matthew. We have the disciples who are with, Matthew became a disciple. We have tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then we have the Pharisees. Before we get going, notice what happened. When when Matthew was given an invitation, nothing happened until he got up and followed. Got up and followed. Every call of Jesus to us requires a response from us. We talked about that last week. If you want to change, you have to change. It's not revelation. If you want your life to move forward, you have to move forward. Change happens. That's what Jesus is about. If you want the potential of your life to change, you have to change the position of your life. Some of us have so much potential that is unrealized that will never be realized until we, be, we decide to change the position of our life and go after and follow Jesus because he's the one who said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, as you come to me, I can give you something. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There's abundant life. There's full life. There's the purpose of God for your life. There's rest for your soul. But it only comes if you respond to the invitation. There was all that God had for Matthew was on the other side of his yes. The invitation had gone out, but until he responded, nothing was going to change in his life. And many times, many of us sit in places and we wonder, God, where are you? Why is not my life changing? And Jesus is saying, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll begin to change your perspective. Follow me, and I'll begin to change the hopelessness. Follow me, and I'll begin to break the addiction. Follow me, and I'll take you into places that you have only ever dreamed of. Follow me. The invitation goes out, but the response must come out of us. What got you here won't get you there. That's something that I say very, very often. First to myself. 
that I always have to take the position and the posture that I'm growing, not by my might, not by my power, but by following Jesus. So this Matthew, we're back on point now, has this, has this encounter with Jesus. He follows him. His disciples' friends are there. And, and Matthew himself, though, was a well-hated man. I'll just do that now. Tax collectors are never in the popular section of any culture at any time throughout history. Can I get an amen? None of us are like, oh, I can't wait. Can you take a little more? Please, I don't want to. People knew, though, in those times, not only, they, they knew how much they had to pay. They never knew, I should say. Because the government would tell the tax collector, I need this much from these people. It's so much a person... Uh, Ten shekels, I don't know what. Uh, but there was a certain amount. And they gave the power to that, to that um, tax collector. He just had to collect that to them. Whatever leverage he used on people to get more on, of, from them was up to him. And he would line his own pockets. So you might have required ten shekels, but he would demand of you twenty or thirty or forty. Whatever he thought he could squeeze out of you and line his own pockets, build his own house, buy a new camel. Uh, I don't know what he would do with it. But they were hated, hated, hated. And nobody wanted anything to do with them. So for Jesus to say, first of all, follow me. And then to go to his house was incredible. Jesus wanted the man that nobody else wanted. He offered his friendship to the man that nobody wanted near them. Again, what a hopeful message of the gospel. That Jesus has space for everyone at the table. Even the ones that we might reject ourselves. Even the ones that we might have on our list. And we'll get to that. Matthew's next response though was not to say, this is so amazing. This is going to be good for me. His next response was to get all his old friends and say, you've got to meet Jesus. I've got to get you to a meal at my house with Jesus. Come on over. Matthew's transformation by Jesus led to an invitation to others. He said, this is so incredible. My life has been changed by the power of Jesus. You've got to come here. And so he sent out an invitation to everybody around him because in his life, he had an experience experience the transformation of God. How many of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, say, my life is on a process of transformation? We got a lot of work to do. Let's try that again. <laughs> Remember, I see you. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I tell you right now that if you follow him, he is all about transforming your life. He is not about leaving you where you are. He is not about saying, that's okay to stay where you are. I love you where you are, but I'm going to pull you out of where you are. It's not going to be by your strength. I'm going to help you. And when we experience that transformation like Matthew, then there has to be something within us that says, I've got to give an invitation for others to know this power that lives in me, this power that resurrects me, this power that brings me hope, this power that transforms my marriage, this power that sets me free, this power that allows me to be what God has called me to be. Because I, I might have been overlooked by others. I might have been a person that everybody says there is no hope. But thanks be to God that the power of Jesus is still transforming, that the power of Jesus is still moving me forward. And I cannot help but be one that gives an invitation to somebody else. Make room at the table. We got to make room at the table because these sinners were not just your garden variety sinners. 
And it goes on, the word that talks about it, the Greek word seems to indicate that these were the people who were well wide of the mark of what a person should be. Blatant sinners, habitual sinners, ongoing sinners, the, the kind you read about, you follow, maybe on your Instagram. And as in the ancient Near East, uh, what, what it meant to have a fellowship meal with people, to recline at the table with them as Jesus did, it implied that you accepted them in your company. This was not a simple thing where we think we'll eat with anybody. We have family dinners where we eat with people that are extended family, strange Uncle Harry or whatever it is, and we, we don't really accept him, we tolerate him. But Jesus, in that culture, when he sat at the table with people, he said, not only do I tolerate you, I love you right where you are. And it's striking that it does not appear that Jesus required repentance in advance of having him at the table with him. Don't clean up before I have an encounter with Jesus. I have an encounter with Jesus, and then I can get cleaned up. I don't have to fix my life and then come to Jesus. I come to Jesus and he can fix my life. And Jesus, all through the Gospels, was having people at the fringes of society on his table and around the table in the wider circle of his followers. Maybe not right on the inside, but people who were always around the edges were attracted to him. Tax collectors, uh, a terrorist almost, we would call them today, uh, the, the zealots, some fishermen, some women, Oh my, yes, even women. I say that fully tongue-in-cheek. Jesus had women around him, not in some creepy way, but he saw the value of women. He affirmed women. He released women more than anybody else in that time. And then, he, then on top of all that, some sinners and some people who were extraordinary sinners. And all the class divides, all the cultural divide, all the gender divides, all the, all the stuff that was dividing, Jesus at the table brought everybody together at the table. All were welcome. And notice it was not just a couple of people. It says that there were many people like this around the table. Can I get an amen that there's space around the table for some many people? Some people who are on the outside. Some people who blew it this week. Some people who said some things they shouldn't have said. Some people who did some things that we're ashamed of. But thanks be to God that because of the mercy and grace and the goodness of God, that Jesus makes room at the table for even you and even me. The person who's struggling right now to see God in the middle of it all, Jesus is making room at the table. And there's some people who think, oh, when a, when a church is growing and there's many people, that they must be watering down the gospel or something. Can I tell you what? That those kind of churches don't grow. In fact, the churches that are dying on the vine in Canada are the ones that have walked away from the gospel. All the churches that said we want nothing, those, are, those things don't really apply to us in, anymore. The churches that are growing are the ones that believe that Jesus is the way, that the Holy Spirit is still here to help us, that God sees us and moves on our behalf, that he is living and present and helping us in our world. We don't, oh, we, they must not preach repentance. Every week we preach repentance. Every week we, pre we preach that the way back to God is through Jesus. Growth does not mean compromise. Growth means that we're seeing God move in our lives and transform people just like was happening in this moment. And Jesus models at a table that's laden with truth and grace. 
that there's always people hungry for it. Daniel often says this, that hope, we live in a time where hope is in high demand and in low supply. And so we preach the good news of the gospel. Yes, you may be hopeless, but there's hope for you. Yes, you may be caught in an addiction, but there could be freedom for you. That, that's what the gospel is, good news. The gospel still is changing lives. The gospel is still reshaping families. The gospel can still change a city. It made me think of this. If the gospel we preach and the Jesus we purport to follow doesn't have space for seekers, for sinners, and for saints in the same room, what are we preaching? Saints, sinners, and seekers. We're all here gathered around the table and saying, Jesus, I need a better encounter with you. I need what you have. I can't figure myself out. Some are a little further just kind of watching. Some are right there close. And some are, I want everything that God has. Let's be a church that builds a table that anyone can find some room at. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Just preaching the just preaching Bible. And then after all that, we have the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were focused on external purity, doing the right things. And they didn't want anyone to be near any, any pure person to be near any unclean person. They said, I'm pure. I don't want to be close to someone that's a sinner because I don't want to be defiled by them. And so in this room, we have a pretty mixed bag of people. We have disciples who are showing the love by inviting others to the table. We have the sinners who were coming to the love that they found at the table with Jesus. And then we have religious people who are judging the love they saw at the table with Jesus. Three people, three different groups in the same story. Where are we at in the story? You know what? I think depending on the day, I can be any one of those. Some days... I got it all together, and I feel like I am winning, winning, winning on every level. I'm doing what I should do. I, someone cuts me off. I say, God bless you. Uh, may, I, may, I, may I give you some more room? Uh, then there's other times where I'm more like someone cuts me off, and I think bad things. I speak bad things. I look around if anybody's in the car, like all kinds of stuff. Sometimes we think bad things, we say bad things, we do bad things. Sometimes we're more like that in the story. And other times I find myself at different times judging others for where they are in their story. I think any of us at any time, depending on the moment and the snapshot of your life, can be any one of those. Maybe that's only me though. But I'm thankful for the gospel that no matter what no matter whether I'm a disciple or showing up more like a sinner or a religious judge, that no matter what, the invitation of Jesus is whosoever will may come. That if I'm doing well, I can come. If I'm a sinner who's not doing so well, I can come. If I've been uh, judging other people and terrible in my hypocrisy, I can still come. Jesus said, ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the water and drink. He's saying, come to me and, and I will give you drink. I will resource you. I will fill you. I just need to come to the table. So no matter where I'm at in the story, I need to get to the table. Hear the invitation. But it would have been shocking that to that world that a holy one, a one called a religious teacher like Jesus, would allow himself to be in the presence of disre disreputable people like you. 
and me. Because in their mind, the clean would become unclean. And, and we read this already. The Pharisees did not like this. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Before we're too hard on them, the Pharisees' view of lost people definitely wasn't nuanced. It's very clear that they saw no space at any table for sinners where there was holy people. Why does he eat with such skim? There have been times in our culture when the language of the church was not much different than this. There's been times in our culture, in contemporary language, perhaps we might have said, those scum might have been the stripper, might have been the homosexual, might have been the drug dealer, might have been the escort, might have been the porn star, might have been the adulterer, the ex-con, the one sleeping with anyone to try, try to find love from someone, the corrupt politician, the addict on the street, the adulterer, the divorced one, the greedy corporate one, the hypocritical churchgoer. We might have, some of us might have a list in our own head, if we're really honest with ourselves, where we put people into another category that they're too far gone, that more like the Pharisees, these are scum, these are people, they are this, they are that, or the other thing. Can I tell you one thing? That every one of them is just a lost son or a lost daughter that has a father who's saying, I've made a way back to the table that there's nobody who's too far gone. And we shouldn't stand back in judgment of them. Let God be the judge and let's just point the way to Jesus that, hey, you may be in that space right now where you feel like where, where your sin has trapped you, but can I tell you that there's a way out and his name is Jesus. He's made a way for you to get back to the table. And if you feel like you've just been blown it, hey, there's a way back to the table. No contamination. But are we more interested in separation from sin than a transformation of sinners. In the Gospels, though, in, in this story, it's crucial to stretch that, or stress that Jesus is claiming that his ministry has a specific fo focus. The least, the last, and the lost. Jesus was always going after those. And if we want to see Jesus transform sinners, are we okay with getting up close to some sin? It's all theory up to then. And then when somebody sits beside you that maybe isn't the same as you or sits beside me that isn't the same as me or doesn't know how to act in a church environment or in a small group or in whatever it might be or in your home and they think that you're a little odd or a little weird. But if we want to see Jesus transform sinners, including me, including you, are we okay with getting up close to some sin. Jesus modeled the way of heaven. The same message that rang out to the shepherds. Good news. Great joy. All people. Rang out through the actions of Jesus all through his ministry. There's a way to the table. You have a space. I'm inviting you to the table. And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You will not go and wait for three hours in the emergency department at Surrey Memorial only to get up to the doctor and he comes. Hey, what's, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah. You've been sitting here for three hours and you're good? Yeah, I'm just good. I just kind of wanted to waste an afternoon here at the hospital. We wouldn't do that. And Jesus says, I didn't come. I have come 
to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners, know their awareness and need for God. Turn to somebody and say, there's room for you. There's room for you. Doctors, now get this. Doctors who are healthy must get close to sick people in order to make them well. Christ followers who have been forgiven must get close to sinners to help them get to the table. In verse 17, this verse is, it sounds at first as if Jesus is saying, I have no use for good people. It's not what he's saying. The point that Jesus is making is that Jesus can do nothing for those who think themselves so good that they don't need anything from anyone. The very people for whom Jesus can do everything are those who know it and are, know they don't have it and long in their hearts for a cure. We need Jesus. We never stop needing Jesus. I have come to call sinners to repentance. I have come to call those who know they need him. Those who know they're sinners, who know that they need Jesus yesterday, who know that they will need Jesus tomorrow, who know that they will need Jesus on Friday, who know that they will need Jesus at their family dinner this week, who know that they need Jesus in their workplace, who know that they need Jesus when they're anxious in the night. The old way of the Pharisee was the unclean made the clean unclean. So I need to stay. Kind of like the, uh, the spoiled apple, what does it do? Spoils the bunch. So if you could, one rotten apple makes everything rotten. But the way of the kingdom of God is actually the opposite. Jesus said, the power that's within me has the ability to bring dead things to life. The power that's within me has the ability to cause fear to flee. The power that's within me has the ability to cause depression to be broken. The power that's within me has the ability to bring hope to hopelessness. The power that's within me has the ability to take someone out of a prison of pain and bring them into the power of their purpose. That's the power that's within me. The power that of, of Jesus, when we come to the table, we have access not just to the place, but to the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. In other words, the pure makes the impure pure. The pure makes the impure pure. So no matter where I'm at, when I come and encounter Jesus, my impurity becomes pure. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The dead comes to life. And you get the point. But do we find ourselves aligning with the rejection of the Pharisee or the invitation of Jesus? Where are we at? Sometimes I'm more on the rejection side. I don't have space and time. Maybe not overtly, but subtly. Make room at the table for the adulterer. Make room at the table for the pornography addict. Make room at the table for the liar. Make room at the table for the gossiper. Make room at the table for the glutton. Make room at the table for the person struggling with their sexual identity. Make room at the table for the thief. Make room at the table for the 
Pharisee. Make room at the table for the ex-con. Make room at the table for the one who is looking in all the wrong places for love. Make room at the table for the drug dealer. Make room at the table for the one who wraps all their life up in their work. Make room at the table for the hypocrite. Make room at the table for the one that votes differently than you. Make room at the table. Make room at the table. Make room at the table. The invitation of heaven is going out. See, the invitation to everyone that I just mentioned and everyone in the room, the invitation of heaven has gone out. The invitation, uh, you can't hold it back. You might stand in the way of somebody, but the invitation of heaven goes out to the shepherd and goes out to everyone that I mentioned this morning. This is good news of great joy to all people that's the Jesus that came. He came to set at liberty those that are oppressed of the devil. He came to restore families. He came to bring hope to the hopeless. He came to bring love to the ones that feels no love. He came to bring freedom to the captive. He came to set at liberty. He came to open the eyes of the blind. He came to set your son free. He came to set your daughter free. He came to save your grandparents. That that's the invitation of the table. That there's a space there at the table for for each and every one. There is not a list in heaven of somebody who's too far gone, or somebody who's too bad, somebody who is on some, some scum list of some Pharisee. The, the list of heaven is there is nobody that's too far gone, that, that the hope of the gospel is that he can still transform lives, he can still set people free, he can still set at liberty, he can still heal, he can still restore, he can still revitalize, he can still bring hope to people that are on the outside and say, I want to call you to come to the table. There's an invitation for everyone. 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 Somebody that's on your mind right now, even Donald Trump. Even our prime minister. Even our premier, even our mayor, even your neighbor that you want to throw dog poo over the side to. Doesn't matter. Anybody that's on your list, even you, the hope of the gospel still changes lives. It's the message of the gospel. We all need to get to the table. Because Jesus is the only one that can heal our brokenness. He's the only one that can forgive the sin that's destroying us. He's the only one that can transform our lives. And that message that rang out to the shepherds is an invitation to the table. John 1.5 says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. When I get to the table... The light shines in the darkness, and darkness can never overcome it. Romans 12 and 21, in the middle of a world that seems to be upside down and crazy, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That means the evil that's in the world, the light has shone. The goodness has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and the power of life change is still possible. And the bottom line is, not only does Jesus save, I want to... Grace mentioned this this morning as she led. Celebrate with praises to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has shown us his extravagant mercy. At the table, I'm putting that in, for his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn 
to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He came so that I could have living, energetic hope. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, never diminish, never perish, never be defiled, never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. It's not only salvation, it's also our destination, it's also our journey, it's an invitation. Your invitation can lead to someone's transformation. See, Matthew's journey began with an invitation from Jesus, and then Matthew gave an invitation to people that were in his sphere, in his world, and said, you got to meet Jesus. And can I challenge you, if, you're a, if this is your church, maybe you're even just here for the first time, to be an inviter. Invite people into your world. If you're not brave enough to invite them to church, invite them over this Christmas season to your house. Sometimes that's even more impacting because the power of the gospel, there's a place for you. And not only that, there's a place for anybody on your list. Jesus has come to call. It says that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Christmas is a table where God sent Jesus to make a way back to the Father. Three groups are around the table. The wayward righteous Pharisees have forgotten their need for God and are just watching the table. They think they got it all together and they don't want anything to do and judge others for their brand of sin. Am I more concerned with separation from sin than the transformation of sinners? Then there's the disciples. They walk with an awareness of their need for God and they are inviting others to the table. The implication is, has your transformation by Jesus led to an invitation to others? It's not with any guilt. That just, can I encourage you to do it? Invite. Invite somebody, whether it's on the 24th or it's to your home for... Uh, not for Brussels sprouts, but for invite. Invite someone into your world that is right now seems like they're an outsider. And then finally, the sinner who's absolutely aware of their need and are coming to the table. Where we surrender our lives to Jesus and allow all that the table represents, the forgiveness of God, the restoration by God, the reconciliation of God, and humanity, forgiveness. I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. How many of us in a room would, just with our head bowed and our eyes closed, say, I need to let go of some categories of sin, of sinners in my world, people maybe that I have put in a special category. Just put your hand up real quick. I want to pray with you. Yeah, yeah. Many hands over the room. No shame. No shame at all. I'm going to pray for that. Father, thank you that your mercy is new. And we come to the table and receive of it today. Lord, we repent of any place where we have judged and categorized people. Almost as unreachable, certainly un too far uh, unclean, too far gone for us. But Jesus, we come first to the table ourselves. And say we need you. We need your mercy. Forgive us, Lord. Places and spaces where our judgment has got in the way of people getting to the table. Let us see possibility in every person that we have not locked eyes with anybody who doesn't matter to God. Thank you for your mercy.
Thank you that I can be at the table. Or maybe, maybe you're, as you're at the table, you're as, there's a disciple you recognize that you need to throw out an invitation to, and maybe this Christmas season, but for, for sure in 2020, if that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, this is not about anybody else. It's between me and God, and I want to pray with you. Just throw your hand up around the room. five or six hands. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you'll be adding people to our invitation list that we can love and make room for those that maybe don't even agree with everything Jesus says yet. And finally, and honestly, most importantly, because Jesus came for the last, the lost, and the least, and continue to keep your head bowed for privacy to the people around you. I'm going to ask in a moment, for those that have never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, that this is your day and your opportunity to come to the table. That you don't have to stand outside watching. You don't have to look at what God's doing in someone else's life, but that God who is rich in mercy and abounding in love calls you. Calls you. You're known. He sees and he calls you. And you could walk out of here and say, I know he's calling me, but I'm rejecting the call. But the possibilities that God begins to open up to your life when you can deal with the sin issue that keeps you from the table, keeps you from all that God has so that you can, instead of just being a someone who visits the table, you can have a permanent place at the table because of the goodness of God. If you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, I'm just going to invite you to, I'm not going to ask you to come forward in any way, but I do want to pray for you. If that's you, I invite you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I, will, I do want to respond to my need for Jesus. I want to make Jesus a forgiver and leader of my life. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick and we'll pray with you. Yeah. yeah. Jesus, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that the invitation from heaven has gone out. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you for forgiveness of sin, Lord. And uh, for those that raise their hand, Lord, I, I agree with them. Lord Jesus, as your word says, I confess my, my, my need for you. I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me. Come in and lead my life. You're the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I invite you to stand as we join with me as we sing this song.